0: Engaging Leader episode 111, Getting Things Done for Leaders, featuring David Allen, brought to you by Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm helping mid-size and large employers attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Learn more at aspendalecommunications.com. your leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Being an engaging leader starts with engaging your own work and life optimally. Five years ago, I had given up on the umpteenth system I'd tried for organization and productivity. As I went back to the drawing board, I discovered that a new approach had taken the world by storm. It was called Getting Things Done, or GTD. And five years later, it still guides my personal productivity, as well as our project management system at Aspendale Communications. Now, a completely rewritten and updated edition of the best-selling book has been released, The book is Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity, and I'm excited today to talk to the author, David Allen. David, welcome to Engaging Leader. Jesse, glad to be here. Thanks. David, as I read the new edition of Getting Things Done, I discovered that mm, you didn't necessarily add anything new, and yet I got a ton out of it that I didn't get the first time around. What
1: what was your approach to this edition? You know, I literally transcribed the whole original edition of the book again. It was the first time I'd actually read the book again after, <laughs> after, after it was published. And, uh, you know, I was, what I was looking for was to make sure that this was really brought up, sort of bring up the rear guard and make this a current read uh, if people picked it up in terms of languaging, in terms of, you know, the new digital world and a, a lot of that stuff. And so I, I was rereading it as I was rewriting it. And that's why some of it is just a direct transcription from the original book, because I read that and I said, I wouldn't change how i said that you know, <laughs> 15 years ago, which is when I said it 15 years ago. So the things that I wouldn't have changed, there wasn't any reason to change it. And it was kind of hard to see from the inside out, but a few people that have, have told me who've read it that they, they feel like there's more, it's more confident, it's more relaxed, it's more, it, an easier read, uh, simply, I guess, because of the languaging and, and you know, since I'll Turn seventy this year. Maybe I'm. Maybe there's a mellowness in terms of (laughs) what I'm trying to do and trying to say. And when the first edition, it was you know I would I had never written a book before, and GTD wasn't even known because GTD was a brand, a sort of an accidental brand that happened as a shorthand for the book, Um, and so. You know, there was a very, 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 very small network of people in my little boutique consulting practice who were aware of what I was doing. So I was ready to go to the world with it. And so there was obviously a little self consciousness and nervousness in, in the first edition that maybe is not there in this one. And as you know, there were, you know, I added three chapters to it just because of, you know, how the world has changed and some of the interesting things we've learned, you know, over the last 15 years, too.
0: And yet, none of the principles and key practices changed you didn't find anything that was broken necessarily that needed to be reworked
1: yeah well that's i think part of the elegance of gtd i mean it in 30 years none of that's changed (laughs) you know since you know but uh since in 1981 when i discovered you know get everything out of your head and decide next actions on anything potentially actionable how powerful just that simple little process is, and they're going to need to do that in twenty one ninety when they land on Jupiter as well as now. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's a universal principle. You're not, you, you can't bake that down any further. So, there's mm-hmm. no change in that. It's not like, oh no, you can you can now keep ten percent of your life in your head and it's fine. I don't think so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you you did add a lot of research to the book that has confirmed many of the things that you had already discovered 30 years ago that where science is sort of caught up with what you've been teaching for the last 30 years.
1: Yeah, your head's for having ideas and not for holding them. And I, I mean, that is, that's been certainly an anecdotal and an experiential piece of, of work. You know, I've spent thousands of hours desk side with some of the most sophisticated, brightest, busiest people on the planet. And every time they got anything potentially meaningful out of their head and in front of their face, they felt more traction, more uh, control and you know more meaningfully focused and without exception so I said that is a truth I had never found an exception to that so it's been delightful to see now in even more some of the popular not so much press but popularized books that are compiling all of that research that basically you know your your brain did not evolve to handle more than about four meaningful things hmm. as soon as you keep put a fifth and sixth one in there it starts to blow a fuse and you lose focus and you lose perspective on all of it. You start to be driven by latest and loudest and you sub-optimize your cognitive function. So they've now proven that. <laughs> so that was nice. Yeah, I mean, it was nice to see and nice to that I don't feel like I'm, you know, preaching in the wilderness so much anymore.
0: <laughs> now, when I first read your book five years ago, the art of GTD immediately changed my approach. And some of the practices or tricks that you explain were pretty easy for me to implement. I'd like to ask you to, to talk through some of those for our listeners. First of all, was that um, if, if you focus on the art of GTD, tell us about this principle of mind like water. You've alluded to that already a little bit.
1: Yeah. Well, again, you can't have nothing on your mind if you're conscious. But if the only thing that's on your mind is where you're putting your attention, then you know, essentially you're in your zone. And so getting your mind in that sort of clear, calm state, it doesn't mean your life is calm. It just means I'm in my zone about it. Hmm. And so being able to be there so that you're not over or underreacting because of past or future stuff going on. In other words, you're present. And being present would be another way to say mind like water. Uh, And water is not always calm. (laughs) Sometimes it's rushing and hurricanes and waterfalls and rapids. And sometimes, so it is whatever it is. But it's not concerned about what it does. It totally appropriately engages with its environment without over or underreacting. So, if you use that sort of model or metaphor in terms of your mind, being able to keep your mind clear, you know, and again, I, I took that image from the martial arts because I, I did practice the martial arts years ago, and there's a very practical aspect of it, of the martial arts, where you, you know, how do you clear your head? Because when you jump, you know, if four people jump you in a dark alley, you don't want <laughs> 2,000 2, unprocessed emails hanging on your psyche somewhere.
0: <laughs> So if you can get stuff out of your head into a reliable system so your brain doesn't feel pressured to hold on to it, then you can be more in your zone. You can be more creative, more fully present.
1: Yes, it gives you more space and i think you you probably read in the new edition i what i've emphasized is that you don't need time you need space i mean how much time does it take to have a good idea it's like zero <laughs> H- how much time does it take to be present how much time does it take to be loving how much time does it you know take to be uh, innovative or creative zero those those things don't take time but they do require room in your head. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're distracted by what happened three weeks ago or uh, an issue that's not right in front of you and you're worried and haven't made decisions about it, you know, you need to, and that's pulling on you, that, then, it's, then it's very difficult to be present, to be loving, to be creative, to be innovative. Yeah, sure, you can be. But uh, one of the things that, that we've discovered is that, you know, the more room you give yourself, the more of that stuff shows up in space. What you do with space is up to you. You know, what a rock musician kid does with more room is probably going to look different than what a 55-year-old executive, you know, who just, you know, merged with another company. Both of them need more room. They'll use it for different things, but they they both love it when they experience it.
0: You mention in the book that there's been studies that show that for most of us, 50% of the time, our brain is thinking about something other than what we're actually focusing on
1: at that moment yeah you know I, I think most people don't realize how much they're doing that. I have a marketing problem called "I solve a problem." Most people don't realize they have <laughs> because you know the last thing a fish notices is water, mm-hmm. and if you've lived a life of distraction in your head, you don't even realize it's going on. It's like the noise in the room you don't hear it till it stops. yeah that's literally what this stuff is like, you know, and I've watched it you know, for thousands of hours across the desk, you know, when I've had people start to implement this process, you know, it's like, wow, suddenly I've got clear space. Wow. Suddenly it's quiet inside my head. Most people don't have an experience of that yet.
0: Most of the time, those things that are distracting us, those thoughts, they're just open loops that our brain won't let us set down because it doesn't trust that we've, we're going to look at them at the appropriate time so it's got it feels like it has to keep
1: reminding you of those things yeah it seems to work that way i mean where you it seems that when you park that like uh, gee jesse i will get back to you about that if i don't park that in some place i trust there's a part of my psyche that keeps going don't forget you told jesse you could. it don't forget you got and that little problem is two minutes later when i've made another commitment or think about something else I forgot about what I committed to you, but it didn't really go away. It just sublimated. It just sunk down beneath my conscious mind, but it's still spinning in there. And it'll suddenly emerge at the most awkward, unstrategic times, like 3 a.m. I go, oh, God, oh, Jesus. <laughs> you know, wow, I forgot, I forgot to do that. So your mind actually doesn't have one. I mean, that part that seems to be holding on to those things really it just keeps running like a little machine as soon as you put that stuff in there, and it's not trusted to be somewhere else. And so that's a lot of what the GTD process is about: is external, most identifying those things. What is pulling on your psyche? What do you have your attention on? What is not on cruise control in your life and work right now? And getting you to identify that, and then you know make the executive decisions you need and the, and organize it appropriately. So mm-hmm. you know, that's back to the, you know how to, how do you get your head under control, if you will? And there's a, there's a simple algorithm for that. It's not hard.
0: Well, go ahead, tell us
1: about it. Well, you know, come on. This is the five steps of how do you get things under control, <laughs> right? Which I, you know, I elucidate in the book and expand on, a, you know, a good bit in the book. And it's it's really about capturing those things, identifying those things that have my attention. You know, little and subtle and big ones and not so big ones. And you know, any and all of them, personal, professional, everything. I need cat food. I need a life. I need a higher credit line. You know, I need. You know, I, I should I should get my annual checkup. Uh, I need tires on my car. You know, all those things you keep walking by in your house and, and saying, "I got to fix that," and you keep you keep thinking that every time you walk by it. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> Most people have tons of those things just keep rattling around in there. So uh, capturing those is first, then deciding, okay, what exactly are you going to do about it? Is that something you're committed to move on? And if so, what's the next action on it? And those are just profound, simple, but very powerful uh, questions. And those things are not obvious. You actually have to put cognitive horsepower on what? Wait a minute, what's the next action on that light bulb that doesn't work on the porch? Do you have the bulb? Do you need to get it at the hardware store? Right? That actually takes thinking <laughs> to, to actually yes. figure that out, as opposed to just keep passing the, the light going, damn, my new light on there. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so you have to capture the thing, then you have to make a simple decisions about action and outcomes. Uh, about those things. And then, if you don't finish the thing in the moment that you have the thought, then you obviously need to track that somewhere that's not in your head that you trust you'll see at the right time. And then you need to build a review and reflection process so that you don't, this stuff doesn't disappear that you write down or that you put on lists, but that it's available to you when you're at the hardware store or when you're at your computer or whatever those things are available to you to, to recognize and evaluate. And then step five is you engage. Then then you, then, you make decisions about where you put your focus or your attention, but then it's done from a trusted place because you've seen the whole inventory as opposed to, gee, I hope this is what I ought to be doing right now.
0: Yes. Now, you mentioned clarifying outcomes and deciding next actions, and those were the other two principles from the art of GTD that I it immediately got and have been acting on that way since in the last five years. And in fact... At Aspinel Communications, we were able to eliminate a much more complicated project planning process by just uh, replacing it with very most projects that we work on. If we can just clarify what is the outcome and then always know what is the next action and who's got that and when does it have to be done by... It simplifies probably 90% of our work, just that that principle. And you think of all the past stuff, timelines and Gantt charts and all that, and, and those still have their appropriate place. But most of the time, if we just had a clear understanding and agreement of what what's the outcome and then what's the very next thing, physical, literal thing that has to be done, what's the next action and who's got that and by when, boy, we all sleep a lot easier at night and, and things get done Quickly and on
1: time. You know, Jesse, I just had, had a conversation with a guy who's a very senior, extremely successful uh, salesperson, business development person for a Fortune 50 tech company, and he said, you know, GTD changed his life. It gave him that. He's also a professional golfer, and you know, he he only works a few hours a week, though nobody knows that, <laughs> and. You know, his boss early on was was really concerned about. Well, where's your plan? Where's your plan for all these clients? Your client development plan? And he said, all he has is a project list of all of his clients that that have current projects that he's working on. His, i.e., his project list. And a next action on each one. So every time his boss asking me, said, "Well, I've got these 16 clients. Da, 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 da. By the way, the next action on this one is this. The next action on this one." And the boss is just floored. He can't believe it. And he said, "That's all he needs." <laughs> and the boss is <laughs> totally thrilled, totally delighted that he is on his game. And you're right. It is, it is fascinating. But that next action decision it does not show up by itself. As you know, you actually have to put cognitive horsepower on it. As I say, you know, that you need to think about yourself more than you think, but not as much as you're afraid you might.
0: (laughs) Well, those were the sort of principles that were a big hit for me. There's, when you talk about implementing the practice of GTD, um, and there's a lot of tricks that you teach, one of the biggest for me, that I immediately put into place and have talked to a lot of people about since then, is when there's an actionable item, follow the two-minute rule. Can you tell us about that two-minute rule?
1: Yeah. Once you decide the next action, if, you, if you're ever going to do the action at all and you could do it where you are in less than two minutes, do it right then because it'll take you longer to stack it, track it, and look at it again than it would be to finish it when it's in your face powerful thing. Give you an extra six months to your life if you implement that, if you haven't done it already. Doesn't it? I mean, it really is like you start to build in this Teflon-esque thing about you, you know, in a way. And, you know, a lot of people have attributed a huge amount of power to that little technique and principle. Um, And I didn't make that one up. That was also a mentor of mine who taught me about getting things out of my head and next actions. He also had the two-minute rule. And I stole that right from him, and he's—you know—it he, it was phenomenal. But that, but one of the things I've discovered is why it is so powerful is it starts to train you to be making next action decisions, you know, because it it, it's, it automatically kind of kind of through sideways gets you to start to make next action decisions. If you say, wait a minute, what do I need to do on this, and can I do that right now in just a couple of minutes, and it gets you to you know implement that thinking more and exercise that thinking muscle.
0: So if you can't act on it within two minutes, what do you do?
1: Well, well, the next thing, of course, the second D, if you can't do it, is delegate it if you can. You know, anybody, are you the right person to be doing whatever this is? And if not, hand it off and ideally hand it off as efficiently as you can right then if you can do that in two minutes or less. Shoot an email, task them with an email, put it on an agenda list if you need to talk to them face-to-face about it because it's more complex or sensitive, you know, but do something with that in terms of the delegation process. And if you can't do that, you're it. There's nobody to give it to. You're the one who actually has to take the action. Then the third D is defer it. That basically just means park that somewhere that you'll see at the right time and place. So that, you know, you, you, your head, again, doesn't have to be remembering and reminding. You've got a remember-remind list somewhere that you'll see appropriately at, at an appropriate time.
0: So do, delegate, or defer. If, it, if you can do it in less than two minutes, just do it now. Otherwise, Delegate it to an appropriate person or defer it. Get it somewhere where you're not going to forget about it and your brain isn't going to be worrying about it. Uh, you tr- a trusted system for hanging on to that next action.
1: Yeah, there's actually a fourth D we've, we've used over the years sometimes, which is the very first one, which is dump it if you can. Yeah. You know, don't keep this thing around. And boy, I, I you know, stuff just seems to attach to people like crazy. <laughs> I mean, the number of things people throw away when we sit down to work with them one-on-one is just amazing because crap self-generates. It doesn't self-destruct, right? (laughs) No, things change their meaning over time. Everything in your center drawer and your desk actually belonged there at one point, right? (laughs) But if if you went through the inventory now, you're going to see a lot of stuff that you you ought to throw away because, you know, those were great refills for that ballpoint you used to have, (laughs) Right? Anyway, so yeah, so that's there. There is that fourth D. But you know, just training yourself to make those decisions, you know, when things show up instead of when they blow up, is a huge, a huge paradigm shift for people.
0: So that's what you need to do with actionable items. Uh, that made immediate perfect sense to me. The other thing that was uh, immediately something I was able to implement was what do you do with non-actionable items, and uh, the buying a labeler and having two filing cabinets uh, that I could file something within 60 seconds was huge. A general reference file and a project support file. Why is that so monumental to a lot of people?
1: I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. I, I think it's because it makes so much sense, especially once you've filtered all the actionable things off of them. So it just becomes a library. So then all you need to do is, I just need to access it when I need it. I don't need it to remind me about something, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing that, that makes thing, makes things a lot easier and breezier, if you will, is because you, put, you you make sure you don't say, God, there's stuff in there that I need to be looking at to remind me of projects I have or things I need to be doing. So once that's been filtered out, then you just need something where it's easy to get to it. And the easiest way to get to it is not... Usually by topic, meaning let me, let me have pink files for all my friends and green files for all my vendors and blue files for all my, I you don't know, whatever. I mean, there's no light at the end of that tunnel. So, again, just yeah. discovering that a simple alpha system, you know, as simple as you can make it, uh, Bill Smith is under Smith, comma Bill is under S. You know, it's the same in this very close to Sweden. You know? So, <laughs> it's great to just be able to do that and be able to see it and, and get to it very fast. I can't tell you how many executives and just folks that I've coached that when they actually went and got a labeler and then we were going through their in basket and they find something and they say, well, I, I just need to keep this. I go, great. What would you call the file? I say, well, I'd call it this. And they create a label and they stick it in there and they go, oh my God, this is, real, this is so cool. And especially if the next day they actually needed that information, they just open that file door and they go, oh, there it is. Wow. There is something about that. There's something about naming things in a simple little way like that. Now, you know again you sounds like you have two two big categories like project support maybe or or reference you know i have my financial files there in a separate place than my than, than than my general reference files but just the general stuff well i'm not sure where to put this the the digital versions of that have essentially given you another way to do it but have made they've also made it more complex because of how many options how many ways could you use dropbox or evernote you know in your digital world and as you, as you saw in the new edition, I still kept in that my coaching about paper, even though there's much less paper now these days with PDF files and scanners and you know and all that stuff. Uh, but the principles are still the same.
0: Yeah, those who know me know that I'm I'm I've got to be pretty close to 95 percent paper free, and yet there's just some things that uh, it's still just more efficient to have on paper, or you can't you still got to have a paper passport. And so where are you going to? Where are you going to stick that? That you'll be able to find it, and uh, I guess it just surprised me too that having a little labeling handheld labeler would be such a huge advantage. Uh, it's somehow it it's both easier to find and and I don't know in a twisted way it's almost fun
1: to file I stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I know you have to kind of have been there though. I mean I know it sounds really weird, you know. People say, wow, you know, very sophisticated people we've coached, and they, they go home or they go back to their office or they, they are talking to a, a colleague or a partner or something, and they say, well, how was the coaching? They say, oh, it was so fabulous. It was incredible. And I got this labeler. And, and they <laughs> scratch their head and they go, how much did you pay this guy? <laughs> but there is something quite magical about naming things appropriately and how much pressure it takes off your mind to be wondering what's actually in the contents that's in your ecosystem. You know, I, I joke with people, but it's really true. I said, how many of you have, you know, uh, loose-leaf binders with no label on the spine? And they go, oh, everybody raise their hand. I yeah. say, well, you know, what happens if you finally label that? You'll realize how much slight pressure there was every time you walked by it before. What's in there? What's in there? I wonder what's in there. What's in, what's in that thing? I wonder what's in that thing. And then you label it. Then there's a part of you that goes, ah, oh, huh. now I know what that is. See, I, there is an, there's an old, you know, many of the primitive societies won't tell you their name their personal name because then you have power over them. So the way I say that is if, if you name it, you own it. If you don't name it, it owns you.
2: Hmm.
1: It's got you wrapped around it. Yeah. If, it's, if you've let it into your ecosystem, meaning it's in your meaning, potentially meaningful environment, you know, it's a folder of yours. It's in your cabinet. It's on your desk. It's in your drawer. If it's not evident what it is, there's a part of you that will start to go numb to that area. Because you because you can't keep being irritated by wondering what that is, so that your brain just shuts down to it. Unfortunately, you don't selectively shut down. You know, it also shuts down the source of inspiration, enthusiasm, creativity, and all that stuff. That's right. So I think a lot of people a lot of people get you know get at least slightly fatigued simply walking into their environments that are unnamed.
0: Yeah, it just frees up having things in the right place and knowing trusting that you'll be able to put your hand on it the moment you need it. Freezes up a lot of your mental energy.
1: Oh sure, and uh, you know, I'm and I'm. I, I, yeah, that's a constant thing to do. I mean, that's you know one of the things as you as you probably read. One of the things we've discovered is this is a lifelong lifetime kind of an uh, an art and craft in terms of how do you manage the flow of life's work. And one of the ways that shows up is you know I'm constantly thinking, wow, it's time to now really sort of reorganize this drawer. Or a new way to think. There's a whole new way to think about my clothes now. I mean, certainly moving from Santa Barbara to Amsterdam, you know, disturbed everything, <laughs> you know, which is agonizing, but very uh, healthy to do every once in a while. It was kind of one of the reasons we did it. So you know, it's time for a little lifestyle adventure shakeup and just throw ourselves into a whole new environment. And it's interesting how many systems, you know, I just took for granted until that, that happened. And, yeah, you know, so it's a, it's a, It's a constant um, opportunity to be thinking about how to refine those things around us in our ecosystem.
0: We've been talking about just a few of the tricks from the book that I discovered to be low-hanging fruit for me when I first read it five years ago. There were a, a few GTD tricks, though, that took actually a couple years for me to get smooth with some trial and error. The biggest was organizing my next action list. I knew that I wanted a, a cloud based way to manage these just because that's th- that, that works well for me. But I struggled with specifically implementing it in a GTD kind of way. What advice do you have that might prevent someone from having those kind of problems that I had?
1: You know, I, it, it's so individual for each person. Whether if you wanted to put all of your next actions on one list, that's fine. You know you just have about 150, so you might find that that makes your life more complicated to do something that simple. So there's a cybernetic principle that says, if you want to make something that's fairly complicated simple, you need a, an appropriately complicated system to simplify it. In other words, most people's systems, frankly, if you walked around, are basically a calendar and a to-do list if they've got that, and that's too simple a system for the complexity of the life they're trying to live. So you know, as you know, in the original edition of the book, we tended to recommend to people that they organize their action by context because that's the first limitation of about what you can possibly do at any point in time. I don't need to. I can't if I'm not at home. There's no need to look at all the stuff I need to do at home until I get there. Mm -hmm. So it would help to then to then tease out or unpack that list of next actions, organized by how I want to see them. A simple example of that is in the old days when you were still doing paper-based bill paying people would just collect all the bills to pay in one stack, stack basket or one folder and then on the weekends pull out their bills to pay and do that. Now you don't need to carry those bills to pay around with you all week. <laughs> you only need to see those actionable items when you're there and it's time to do that. So in that way you don't need to carry all of that stuff around or have access to all of it. You, only need, you just need to have access to it for two reasons. One is you, when you might need to access what's the contents of that look, I'm out for errands right now. Show me all the errands I need to run.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? And the second thing that you need to do is I need to be able to, if I suddenly realize if I'm not at the hardware store but I need, I need nails, You know, I need to be able to go put that somewhere so I'm not double entering something. I need, so I need to be able to then put it on that list. So as long as the list of these things, these actions and reminders, is accessible to you so that you can input on it with as few strokes as possible and so that you can see it when you need to see it, It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. That's it. But that does matter. So what did you do that didn't work?
0: Well, first I I looked up some software packages that were available, and I found one that I thought would work, and tried it. And uh, I mean, I just looked at my to do list right now. There's the my client stuff is on in one system, but even just my non client stuff, I just looked. I have two hundred and thirty seven next actions that are identified. And so it took me a long time just to get set up on this software and then tried it for a while and eventually decided this is just not meeting my needs. And so then I tried, uh, uh, you're familiar with Evernote, I tried a completely Evernote based approach because I was already using it as a filing system. And Several months went by before I finally said, you know, this is just not working out for me. And it was also complicated by the fact that all my client work is collaborative. So it's not just my own personal to-dos. There's a lot of delegating and, and back and forthing. So it actually took it took about two years to settle on... Uh, we, we ended up, for the client work, we, we settled on using Basecamp as the actual system. And then we had to sort of tweak it. To, it it's not really... Basecamp is not really a GTD-oriented system, but we were able to do some tweaks that made it work, and then uh, I, I, similarly, I just uh, found a, a, a software that was robust enough but not too complicated uh, called Tootledoo that I, that just seemed to work well for me for all my non-client to-dos. Well, I think one thing that would be helpful that that's helpful now that I at least I didn't realize was available 5 years ago is on your website the getting things done you have these setup guides that w- are designed there's a maybe 5 or 10 different approaches and a person could pick one you know if you're a paper based person here's a specific setup approach or if you're a Microsoft Outlook kind of person or a Google apps kind of person there is some sort of best practices for implementing it uh, based on that. And, and maybe there's some other things that would have um, streamlined that, that, that. But it was kind of a painful two-year process <laughs> for me.
1: Yeah, well, you know, if you know what to I mean, that's why we wrote all of those, because we understand GTD. Mm-hmm. So the system doesn't matter. Say, so, okay, okay, well, give me a system. How would I implement GTD here? Well, I need lists. I need to be able to keep track of next actions. I need to keep track of waiting for us. Ideally, it could be tied to something to sort of the calendar, so I don't have to have two different systems. I need something ideally that that I could tie to an email if I want. You know, I get there's so much work that goes back and forth in terms of an email. So as long as you know what you want to do, you can make anything work. A lot of people, by the way, Jesse, as you may know, are going back to paper. A lot of high tech people, because you know, how many strokes does it take to to flip open a note, a, you know, a, a loose leaf notebook, you know, with tabs yeah. in it and put stuff on a list, and yet, you know, how many times, how many clicks do you have to do to use any of those systems <laughs> to, to in, input an action? Mm-hmm. And I know quite a number of people that, that just found for that reason. It, you know, it's more in your face, it's more uh, touch-feel, it's more, uh, you know, it, it adds a lot of richness and more via vitality, essentially, to and realness to their list. Because the computer's tough, out of sight, out of mind. You know, and you have to have the discipline to know what to go look at appropriately when. Mm-hmm. See, the, pl- the paper planners were in your face and they yeah. were in your hands and you carried with them everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. And when you weren't doing anything else, you were flipping through all those pages. You can't do that on the computer. You could, but it'd be much too hard. And you'd, you know, it's not structured to be able to then flip through it and see essentially your whole life go in front of your face very quickly, which is why the paper planner, the really sophisticated ones, if they were really set up appropriately, are probably the most effective that map to the way that your brain wants to be oriented, hmm. you know, at in, in any point in time. And by the way, none of the, none of the software is even close to what I'm talking about. No kidding. They're just they're just list managers. Yeah. And they and, and again they're they're hidden. Yeah. So you know, again, that that's one of the reasons I think it's tough. Yeah. For for somebody who I've got to use a digital tool and I want to find the right one, you can make any of them work. It's the paradox, though, is once you really get GTD, the system doesn't matter. But once you really get GTD, the system matters a ton because you really want the coolest thing, yeah. you know, that has the least amount of, of, of footprint, you know, essentially, psychically. That you know, with the with the least amount of effort, you can keep stuff out of your head and keep a, keep access to it.
0: Yes, and there's when like when when we finally found the right approach, and I, I don't think there's anything magical about what we settled on, but. We, we picked ones that w- just were robust enough but yet um, not overly done and allowed us to tweak it so that it we could make it work the way that fit us. For example, we eventually discovered it was important because we had so many to-dos, it was important to not have those pop up in our face until a certain date had come by. So it's a little different than a calendar approach. It's it's still on a list out there and you can see it when you need to, but when a certain date would come by it needed to it got our it gets our attention but but yet we're not trying to constantly read really long to, uh to-do lists next
1: action lists you're talking about as a team yes yes
0: now another area that was difficult and from what i've read out there i think i wasn't the only one is the weekly review that at first you get you're excited about GTD and so you do this the weekly processing and at some point it gets, I don't know, boring or overwhelming and so then you, you miss it or you're gone. It doesn't work for the day that you normally would do that. And pretty soon it's two, three weeks have gone by and you haven't done it on a weekly basis and now it's this burdensome issue. Have, have, you, am I, have you heard that from other people that they struggle to? Oh,
1: 99% of people. Absolutely. <laughs> it's one of the toughest habits to build. Do you
0: have any advice for how to, how to keep that habit going?
1: Ritual, same time, same place. Build a ritual. Whether it's Starbucks on the Saturday morning, whether it's uh, you know somebody took their two daughters to choir practice on Sunday night and he sat in the in the rear pew and did it did it there. Uh, if you if you travel on planes regularly, you know just make sure you get to the airline club early enough, and that's where you do it. I would love to say that here's the here's the silver bullet, here's the magic wand that gets you to do that. It's like you know. It's like any of those where the angel is is at the gate when you most need to plan is when you least feel like doing it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and when you most need to get current is when you least feel like you can afford to take time to stop everything and get your, and pull up the rear guard and get current. So it's really just that you know you get you get lost you get you get wrapped in the busy trap, and it's very easy to not have that reflective time, and it's the orientation behavior that is most needed and most lacking. Uh, in the professional world, anyway.
0: As I was reading the book this time, your new edition, there were several things that I rediscovered. Like, oh, I I, I totally missed that before. One uh, I think would be helpful t- for me to keep in mind with this weekly review, and that is that as I realized that you were describing uh, more of the, a processing where you're doing that the collecting and clarifying what is this what's the outcome is this actionable is it not actionable what's the next action whereas i think um, a lot of my struggles is because i'm i'm trying to combine that sort of processing and clarifying with a strategic planning approach like okay once i process this stuff now what's the sort of let's get back up to the big picture What are what are the sort of big rocks in my life, and what are the more the gravel of life? What's what's most important for me to be focusing on over the next week? And those are two different parts of your brain. And uh, you pointed out in this time that man, when you're processing and that that clarifying step, your brain can do that very fast if you just let yourself stay in that mode. Just get that done, and save the other for a different. Time of the week or time of the day. I don't know. What do you think about that?
1: I think that's probably true. Uh, I certainly, in a lot of the brain research that I've been reading, you know, there are different kinds of thinking or use different parts of your brain, and so it's nice to segment those as different in, in different ways. So you're not trying to complicate it. I know, when, you know, in in real time when we coach people, desk side and one on one. It's it is challenging to to think of both the outcome. What's the project here, as well as what's the next action? So the the outcome visioning comes from a different part of the brain. When I read that, I went, "Oh, that's why people have sometimes it's a challenging thing." You, that doesn't mean ignore it or or do it. Just be just be aware. You, it takes some cognitive horsepower to actually sit down and to do that. But I would say, Jesse, you know, to you and to anybody listening to this who's familiar with the GTD process, is that. The, the real key is just to ask yourself, look, what's got my attention right now? What do I need to do to get that off my mind? That's where the weekly review showed up was simply because, look, I'm starting to feel like things are backing up on me. I'm not feeling that I'm as clear about what I ought to be doing right now. I'm, not, I'm wondering if I'm missing something right now. And, I mean, if you did nothing else but once a week sit down and you know, look at your past two weeks of calendars and catch all the OSs <laughs> that popped up, yeah. you know, and 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 look and look at the next two months of your calendar coming toward you, just that, you know, just that in and of itself gets you located in space and time in a very different way. And you're invariably, you know, we've dug work we do workshops, we do that sometimes in the workshop, and and, and we guarantee everybody comes up with at least two or three, oh God, I'm really glad I saw that. Simply by looking at their life like laid out in front of them, <laughs> you know, like orient, orienting themselves. So a lot of, and I, I've indicated this in the new edition, a lot of this is about just building the appropriate orientation tools for yourself. What do I need to orient myself for the weekend and my family, right? What do I need to orient myself appropriately now that I'm going into a board meeting? What do I need to orient myself right now that I'm going to be talking to my senior team, and those are all, you know, if you've ever made a list for any of those contexts, all you're doing is creating a map for yourself that orients me appropriately when I walk in so I don't, I'm not feeling like I'm scattered or being pulled 42 ways from Sunday. You know, I need to orient myself that way. So there's an infinite supply or an infinite variety of orientation maps. Just your calendar is an orienting map. If you looked at your calendar in the last 48 hours, you were trying to orient yourself so that's all these lists and that's all this external brain stuff really does is it builds appropriate orientation tools. That's the function of it, really, to keep you focused on the right thing at the right time. Does that make sense? It does, yes. And when you think about that, don't, you know, don't put the weekly review on a pedestal in some way. I mean, it's not like a, the cult of weekly reviewers. It's really <laughs> just about how, you know, what behavior do you need to do to get yourself clear and clean again? You know, I assume you take a shower fairly regularly, <laughs> right. Right? And why do you do that? You don't take a shower 24 hours a day, right? Yeah. But you do it as soon as you've got a scuzz factor that raises high, right? And that's why I, that's weekly review. Hey, my scuzz factor gets high. So the real reason that people don't do it is they're, as I say, they're addicted to their stress. And that's not like you have to go shoot up stress. It just means you're willing to tolerate that gnawing sense that I'm not current, Right. So I'm not very willing to tolerate that very long.
0: Right. It's an uncomfortable experience.
1: Yeah. Well, obviously, it's not, not uncomfortable enough, <laughs> you know, until you start doing the w- regular weekly reviews. Unless you're staying current not doing that, but then you're doing some version of a review. If you've got any kind of a complex, fast-moving, fast-changing life, you know, you, how often do you need to do that? There, there were times, not right now, but there were times when I had to do some version of a weekly review, you know, twice a day. Things were moving so fast and changing so much because when you start executing on anything, and you're fully present with it, you're really down in the weeds. You can't think of anything else. You shouldn't be right. So when you stop doing that, you need to raise up, look around. You know, it's managing the forest instead of hugging the trees, right? But so you need to be able that ability to go in and out of execution and you know, essentially relaxation and uh, overview and reflection. You know, that's a that's powerful stuff when you when you get that right and the new brain by the way there's a new book that came out actually after I wrote the new edition that I would have certainly uh, uh, cited in there it's called Brain Chains two words by Theo Compernale C-O-M-P-E-R-N-O-L-L-E and everybody needs to read it, it is, mm. it's brilliant stuff he's a Belgian researcher uh, and, and he was a child psychiatrist to begin with and got fascinated by cognitive science and now he's doing a lot of executive coaching for stress management simply because of the digital world people are trying to navigate in and their brain is not designed for it. And that's what's creating a whole lot of suboptimal behaviors and stress for a lot of people. Multitasking is, is a hoax. You can't do it. The brain's not designed to do that. Anyway, uh, one of the things that he talks about is the three brains you have. You have the reflex brain, which is sort of the limbic brain, that sort of survival brain so you could stay alive on the savannah. And it's, it never goes to sleep. It's constantly available. It's constantly present. has no sense of past or future. It's dealing with what you see right now in your environment and experience right, and how you then engage with that. And then you have the reflective brain, which is the forebrain. That's the one that developed later. And that's the analytical part of you. And, that, and that's the one that has past and future and thinks and plans and does all that good stuff. That part gets tired. So when you've, you've heard decision fatigue, that's the part that tires. So in order to keep that highly functioning, what it needs is rest and it gets its most rest when you sleep. Therefore, if you're not getting seven to eight hours of sleep, unless you're one of the 5% of people that can get by with less, uh, you are actually preventing something called the archive brain from knitting all this stuff together and creating connecting the dots. So the whole idea of sleep on it is now scientifically validated, that you do need to be able to get that rest. And also the rest just stopping your focused thinking to step back and daydream and let yourself be spontaneous. Take a walk around the block, and let your brain stop. If you're not doing GTD, you can't do either one. You can't focus directly on something without being distracted, and you also can't rest. You sit back to be reflective and just daydream. And you go, "Oh God, I need cat food." Oh, geez, I told Jesse I was going <laughs> to, <you know? laughs> right? So it was interesting, you know. When I met the, you know, we had lunch with him. He said, "David, you know, it was funny because we came from two very different angles and came to the same conclusions. Mm-hmm. You know, mine was on the street, and his was in the research lab." you know, in terms of how we figured this out. That's my, that's my book de jour right now. Recommendation.
0: Brain chains. Well, we'll put a link to that in our show notes for this episode. Yeah. David, for the leader of a team, do you have any advice on how to engage the rest of the team with GTD?
1: Don't say it's GTD, just good business practices. Hmm. Say, Hey, by the way, by the, you know, we, we want to get a, a compilation list of, of all the current projects right now that we're all working on, on the team. Uh, Bill, you should give me your list. Jose, let me see your list. Susan, let me see your list. You don't have that list? Um, how soon can you get it? Every single thing I've tasked for you and every single thing that you're working on that you think is an alive project. So you don't have to say do GTD, just expect the behavior. You know, Just start to use the vocabulary. The, as you know, say, hey, well, what's the next action on that? And they see you write it down. They, they figure, hey, this must be important because, wow, you care. So I guess I should too. So you can really just start to build those behaviors. I mean, don't start meetings without going, what are we trying to accomplish? By what time today? Don't end discussions without going, so what's the next action? Who's got them? I mean, that's just, that's just good practice. You know? right. it's so, it just turns out GTD was just identifying what are those things, what are those behaviors that actually make for the most optimal way to use your energy.
0: Yeah, so don't talk about it as GTD because that's sort of is going to come across like the program of the day, Yeah. but talk about it, the, the business practices. It's interesting. I remember when I when I engaged the rest of our team on the idea of next actions, and it it took. I had to stick with it. It took a lot of uh, following up with people and insisting. No, we need to have a next action identified. Otherwise, it's just all fuzzy. We're not. You know, fuzziness doesn't get anything done and doesn't let us go to sleep at night. Uh, We need to have an, an identified next action. And it, right. it, it eventually stuck. It, people fi- finally saw that, yeah, this is making a difference. This is, the, this is smart business.
1: That, that'll do it. And as I say, just, just do GTD. It'll look like you're having fun. And when they ask you what you're doing, say, well, you're not old enough yet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, David, where can people find out more about this book and find out more about your work and, and what's coming down the pike?
1: Well, you can get the book wherever you get books. So, you know, it's available out there, probably most all those sources and channels. Uh, you can certainly get it from our website. And there's a lot of, you know, kind of interesting pathways in and through and around this information on our website, gettingthingsdone.com.
0: Well, the book again is Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity. And there's a brand new edition out for 2015. David Allen, thank you for joining us on Engaging Leader.
1: Jesse, it's been my pleasure. Thanks.
0: All right, Engagers. Whether you want to try just a few of these tricks or you want an all-out implementation of the GTD method, get your hands on the book. Remember, being an engaging leader starts with engaging your own work and life optimally. We'll provide links to David's website, book, and social media on our show notes for this episode, which you can find at engagingleader.com forward slash 111 as in episode 111. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with midsize and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at aspendalecommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, JJ Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Terrence, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of each opportunity to engage the people we care about.